often once you get to a certain point and you've made a certain amount of money, your mind starts to switch a little bit more to protectionism. It's how do I not lose what I have? It's no longer how do I grow and achieve this goal? How do I ensure I don't lose what I have? Just building a business was exciting enough, no matter how successful or unsuccessful it was. And I could have never have imagined what it would be like to actually go on that growth of personal development to scale now a successful business. And now being in the position of being in this business, I look back at those leaders not for big picture inspiration, but with the curiosity of, I wonder what they actually do every day. And so zero to a million dollars is all about proving the idea. But for those listening, if you're still in that stage, this is about proving the idea. That's really all it is. Welcome to another episode of Entrepreneurs Rising. So glad that you are here. My name is Pete Moriarty. I'm here with my best mate, Carl Taylor, and we're all about helping entrepreneurs rise the tide of business and learn and grow together. Now, we're sharing our journey with you along the way of building two successful businesses. And yeah, we're sharing the things that interest us, You know, crossing over from spirituality to business, to mindset, to money, to working on everything to develop ourselves as entrepreneurs. And we hope that you're enjoying the ride. This episode, we dive into the roadmap to a billion-dollar business. And Carl, what interested you in actually getting this research happening for you know looking into building a billion-dollar business? How did you stumble across this article that we're discussing in this episode? Well, as we dive into in the episode a bit, is I shared how I had a meeting with a guy who's doing about a $200 million property deal at the moment, and just some conversation with him really reignited inspiration of like thinking bigger. And going, what, you know, where's the new level for me? And I came away from it literally typing into, well, I use DuckDuckGo, but it could be Google.com. I typed into the search engine, what does a $100 million company look like? What does a billion dollar company look like? And that sent me down various rabbit holes that eventually found this interesting article that we talk about in the episode. So that's, that's how it came about. Awesome. So join us going down the rabbit hole. We look forward to sharing the journey with you. We'll see you right in the episode. What's going on for you, man? I'm doing good. I had a really good meeting the other day. So I can't remember if I told you, but so, you know, working with Divya, my coach that we both know, right? And was talking about something that I think this would be worthwhile chatting about on the podcast. What we talked about the other day around like when you're out to a point of where we are in business, there's another level. There's always another level, but it's like, there's a lot of roadmaps for people who are starting a business. There's a lot of roadmaps for people who are in a business trying to grow it. There's not a lot of roadmaps for, okay, You've got to this point in the business, here's how you jump to the next one. And so I was kind of talking a bit about that. The concept of proximity is power and the people you surround yourself is both inspires you, challenges you, gives you insights. I was like, I really want to get around more people who are successfully, you know, running multiple businesses, very, you know, entrepreneurial, investor type minds in how they approach business. And they still have a work-life balance, you know, people that haven't gone and meant that they are working 24-7 and basically not living life maybe by the values that I would. And she connected me. She said, oh, actually, there's someone I know that I'm going to connect you with. I'll give you his number. And it was really interesting for me too. Like She called him and told him that I was going to call. 
and I sat on it for a week. I freaked out. I couldn't bring myself to call the guy. I was just like, there was all this comments in my head coming up of this guy's like, he's going to be like, who is this guy? Like all this stuff was going on in my head. I finally got around to calling him and then he was like, great, let's connect. Maybe next week, send me a message. So that was this week. I sent him a text and said, hey, you want to grab some lunch? So I had lunch with him yesterday. A lovely guy, really nice. And I had to fight my ego a little bit at the beginning of the conversation. He didn't ask much about me. And so he started talking about his own journey and different things. And I felt my, my, I know ego mind wanted to come up of like, oh yeah, I know this stuff. Like I'm, and I was like, no, let's just listen. That's what you're here to do. You're here to learn and listen, stop getting in your own way. And so just continue to listen and learn, listen to his story. It's really inspirational. And then we chatted a bit about where I was up to. Anyways, I kind of came away from that conversation. This particular guy, he's by his own accounts, he says, I'm nothing special, but he's basically got this property situation, you know, this deal that's going to be worth like 200 odd million, right? That's a different level of business to the, the level of business that I've been playing. So I kind of came away from this conversation thinking, okay, the new level for me in business. You know, I started coming away with like $100 million business, billion dollar business. You know, what does that look like? And he said something too. He's like, if you can think of it, you can imagine it possible, then it's possible for you to do. And he's like, he's like, have you ever thought about starting a hairdressing company? And I was like, well, I never thought of starting one, but I was going to buy one. He's like, oh, okay, bad example. Have you ever thought of starting a, a hardware company? I said, no. He's like, why not? I was like, I don't know. It's just not even in my awareness. He's like, exactly. So that's not on the cards for you. But anything else that is in your awareness is potentially on the cards for you. And I was like, huh. So I've spent the last few days, man, reading up as much as I can, because there's not much roadmaps about how do you build a $100 million company? How do you build a billion-dollar company? What are those stages you go through? How do you do that? And I've got my own frame of reference of still going, how do you do that in a way that, well, to build a $100 million company, you can't be the face of the business. Or you can be the face, but you can't be the person doing the work. That's just not feasible. And so it kind of sent me down this huge rabbit hole. I feel really inspired by it, but there's a lot of still uncertainty. I found this great, this could be worth sharing with, with our listeners. I found this great article. Is by the founder of Zura, Zura, which is a subscription, they man- subscription management company. And so it's this article it's about how to build a billion-dollar company. And I'll just read a couple of key things that really stood out to me. So he says, how do you build a billion-dollar company? It's not a linear process. When I started at salesforce.com, that's where I originally started, we were 10 guys in a room. Our path to success was much more of a slow climb with lots of switchbacks along the way. And he goes, I like the switchback metaphor because it represents, and here's what really stood out to me, how companies entering a new growth stage must essentially become a new organization. I'll say that again for anyone who is there listening and they missed it. Companies entering a new growth stage must essentially become a new organization. The things that made it successful during one stage may actually prevent it from succeeding during the next. So at each stage, it must be willing to change the rules and toss out the sacred cows. And then it's got this whole breakdown of like, you know, from zero to a million, here's what you need to be focused on for a million to 3 million. This is what you're going to be doing. 3 million to 10, here's what you should be doing. 10 to 30 million, and then 30 to 100 million, 100 million to 300 million, and then 300 million to a billion. And this is just his experience. Obviously, it's not locked in stone. He's just sharing what he learned in building his billion dollar company. There were a number of things that really stood out. Don't know if we've put it on this podcast, but Pete, you know this. So we've chatted about it. I had a realization when I came out of business mastery, Tony Robbins' business mastery of my business has got to a point where it works operationally without me. It doesn't have the ability to, in my opinion, innovate and grow and continue to ensure it sustains long-term life without 
me or someone else stepping in to fill that innovation role of the company. And so that's a new challenge for me. It's like, okay, well, this business, there's another level of how do we make it innovate and grow. But we're also at a stage where we've been in this business six years, the industry has changed, the market landscape has changed, the clients coming to us in the last six years have shifted and changed. And we don't have the same really great solid market fit that we used to have. And so we've been teetering on this for probably about a year or two where we've been in this trying to fix things for some of the older type clients and it's not quite matching what the newer type clients want and trying to strike this balance of do we morph into what the newer style clients need or do we hold on to how we've been doing things? A bit of ego of wanting to go, this is how we've always done things. And it's not just me as the owner. You know, When you've got 40 something on team members, people are, don't like change. They want to hold on to this is the way we do things. This is how it works. Yeah. And so this is a long way of saying like we've been coming through this growth of going, we're at a point where it's like, we need to become a completely new organization. We're kind mm. of, I've been wiping the slate clean in my head numerous times going, okay, if I was starting this business from scratch today with everything that we've got, like, what would we look like? Try and forget what the current legacy stuff is. Let's just look at this business fresh eyes. And then I kind of got to go, okay, well, if that's what I would do, I've got a reality of I have some existing legacy stuff. Now, is there a way of meshing them together or merging them? And that's been kind of where I've been at, man. Like, so there's been a lot going on in the last 24 hours, a lot of inspiration of like, yeah, I don't need to think about 10 million. Like, what if I was, if I want to be, it's not about making the 100 million or the billion, it's about the skills that I need to develop along the way to be able to do it, if that makes sense. What I really appreciate is your hunger to learn, is that you've had that realization, you've had that awareness, and now the hunger to actually go and research and learn about it. I can really relate to having or experiencing the fear of not knowing what the next step is. Yes. And I've had that many times, you know, during the growth journey of like, oh, okay, I've got it to like this point, but you know, like what's the next point and how do I get there? And I don't even know what the next step looks like. And I reflecting on that, I think so many entrepreneurs could easily allow that to bring in, I wouldn't say complacency, but maybe lack of progress just because there's no skill to go further. And we see this. We see this with entrepreneurs that plateau in business because they just don't have the competency to go to the next step. And someone who's been there, done that, yeah, sure, it's really easy. Or if you've got a roadmap, it's really easy. I've certainly been feeling those feels in myself lately. Like, And it's those feels of like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. You know, like, I don't know how to get from where we are now to a $50 million company. I really want to read that article because I need to know. <laughs> I need to know what are the bullet points so I can follow them. Because there's things that are on my mind right now, you know, like what is my actual exit strategy? Is it a public listing? Is it a trade sale? Is it a partnership? Is it merging with someone else? Do I continue to keep it for cash flow for a while? You know, I need to really, really, I desire to really increase my competency, my knowledge around special purpose acquisition vehicles and structuring and yes. thinking about the tax implications of the business years down the line based on where we're going strategically and how we're rolling up other businesses. It, like, it's quite scary right now. And for myself, well, I've noticed my lack of competency and a, a little bit of, let's say, I wouldn't say plateauing, but a little bit of fear of progress. And I noticed myself yesterday as I was reflecting on some of these fears and some of the known unknowns that I have, the known incompetencies, mm. I noticed myself thinking, thank God I've got Scott who works with me because between him and I, I think we'll work it out. 
yes. <laughs> Between the two of us, like I think we'll have a good idea of where to take the business. But it's really bloody scary, especially when I'm looking at another acquisition deal now for another business, which is less than a million dollars of revenue, but it's nearly a million dollars of revenue. And, and if that deal happens, it's like, hey, presto, another million dollars of revenue, another one, another one. And so actually managing multiple businesses with that level of revenue, the level of thinking required is actually a CEO of a $20 million business. And so upgrading myself to that, because it feels like 18 months ago that I was saying to myself, I should act like someone who runs a $5 million a year business. Mm. It feels like 18 months ago. And then that happened. It's like, oh shit. Okay. I'm here now. What's next? And so, yeah, I really relate to that. And when I first started in business, you know, I read books from Richard Branson and I was inspired by Steve Jobs and I've been inspired by Elon Musk. And, you know, I love Robert Kiyosaki's writings about how business is a path to freedom and owning your life. And I had this like this idea of just building a business was exciting enough, no matter yes. how successful or unsuccessful it was. And I could have never have imagined what it would be like to actually go on that growth of personal development to scale now a successful business. And now being in the position of being in this business, I look back at those leaders, not for big picture inspiration, but with the curiosity of, shit, I wonder what they actually do every day. Mm. Like I find myself often thinking, I wonder how many meetings Steve Jobs did on a day-to-day basis. Like, I wonder how many were functional meetings, how many were exec meetings, how much time he spent just walking around the campus, how much time he spent developing products. Like, yeah. I wonder what the ratios were on the time because I literally want to model this successful CEO. This yes. personal qualities of Steve Jobs that I may leave to the side in terms of modeling. But that's exciting. And, and hearing you reflect on sitting down with someone who is, you know, not necessarily a mentor, but someone who can pass on wisdom yes. from the experience of being, you know, in a $200 million property deal, that excites me. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, who would be someone that I could sit down for lunch with and get some guidance? Because I bloody need it right now. <laughs> oh, well, 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 Pete, we, we can always sit down for lunch with each other, but I totally know what you mean as well. Like, yeah. And it's interesting you say that just last night, I wasn't looking at like, what does Richard Branson spend his time doing? But I was going down the rabbit hole of trying to understand how the Virgin Group is structured. Mm. I was like, how does Virgin Group structured with all these different brands? And I was literally going down article after article. I even found apparently some school kids assignment posted online where they'd done research. (laughs) And I'm reading that. It was fascinating just to learn, you know, the times when he's licensed just the name versus when he has a percentage. And even Wikipedia shows what percentage of ownership of all the various different Virgin brands. And what is the, I'm really curious what some of the percentages are because I, some I mean, of them's I'm, only five percent, man. Like some's yeah, just wow. literally a five percent ownership. There's a number that are hundred uh, percent, number that are fifty-one percent controlling. Some are only thirty percent. Yeah, go on Wikipedia, look up Virgin Group, and that kind of obviously it's Wikipedia. We got to not know how hundred percent accurate it is, but yeah. You know, it's, it, it was very interesting to go, ah, okay, that's... And even I'd never thought of it, but Virgin Group call themselves effectively a venture capital company. I'd never even thought of them in that way. It's like, that's how they see themselves. That makes a lot of sense. Like the Virgin Group, the holding company, see themselves as venture capital. It's like, huh, like that, that in itself me. gives you some really interesting insights to go, ah, fascinating. Mm. So, um, yes, I resonate a lot with what you're saying. And, you know, Steve Jobs... 
was always a Bill Gates was actually a, a mentor, or well, not a mentor, like a real big inspiration for me younger mm-hmm. than than Steve Jobs. Elon Musk is huge, Branson. But like you, like I got to a point not that long ago where I, I kind of felt like, no, I don't want their life. They work too hard. Mm. You know, I'd realized that for the last 10, 15 years, I'd been focused on building the the action coach that I've shared before in earlier episodes about where I got the idea of a business is a business if it works without you. It's a commercial profitable enterprise that works without you. Thank you, Brad Sugars, for that beautiful wisdom at 20 years old. Mm. But like, I was focused on how do I build that? And I was focused on the Tim Ferriss four-hour workweek dream. And it's like, well, got that. Been there, done that, tick box. Now I'm going, what's next? And I'm feeling a bit lost. And and the other thing that's interesting, I was chatting with the guy yesterday about this, is that kind of often once you get to a certain point and you've made a certain amount of money, your mind starts to switch a little bit more to protectionism. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's totally. how do I not lose what I have? It's no longer totally. how do I grow and achieve <laughs> this goal? How do I ensure I don't lose what I have? And, and how do I create like insurances so that Diversify I, I can for maintain, protection. Main, maintain what I have? <laughs> yeah, keep the status quo. Like, you know, what, and if I do lose that, then I've got these backup plans and this plan B and this plan C. Totally, man. Totally. And so here's what he said that really kind of was like a bit of a shakeup because that's where I've been at. It's where I know you've been at. Like, it's like I've been looking at how do I diversify things? Like, I've been shifting passive income that I had from commissions into like shares because I'm like, the passive income from commissions might not survive forever. I need to ensure I put that into other assets, giving me cash flow back for the what if or when that money goes. And he pointed out to me, he said he had an accountant who gave him all this advice. He had you know millions of dollars worth of property. And they were like, oh, you need to start thinking about protecting it. And he goes, actually, we got to this point, not focusing on that. We got to this point by focusing on growth, 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 growth. Now, I'm not going to fully agree with everything, but the message I took was a reminder of where focus goes, energy flows. Uh-huh. And so if our focus <laughs> is on how do we not lose, it's very different to a focus being on how do we win. Yeah. And it was an insight of like, I've been focusing on how do I not lose? How do we not lose clients with our mm. churn? How do we not lose the passive income we have? How do we not lose? How do we keep this as opposed to how do we grow this? How do we contribute? Like, yes, there's been an element of how do we contribute more, but it's that's been from a different side of things rather than going, well, there's another level. And I read this great article from a guy, I think it was from four years ago, again, last night's rabbit hole, the CEO of use Proof. If anyone knows, it's a software company. Now, I didn't know this. The guy behind Proof used to have, an, or maybe he still does, an info product business, You know, educational marketing, ebooks, right. those kinds of things. And he, he wrote out this blog post years ago talking about his grand plan to $100 million. Mm. And it was like, he was thinking about like video games. He's like, level one is build an info business, making 100 grand a month in profit. And then he's written, completed. Now, I don't know whether he fully achieved that, but like he said, level one completed. Level two was build a software company. And it mm. says in progress, because that's where he's currently up. He's got this level three for him was then investing. And level four was something influence, I think is what it said. But I like that analogy of in a video game, each level, as he kind of points out, when you get to a new level in a video game, it requires a certain amount of skills to be developed to allow you to then level up to the next level to complete the missions. You can leverage some of the skills you learned in the first earlier levels, you unlock new skills, but you kind of on this new level, you've got to try and try and try a bunch of stuff. You learn and develop new skills, which ultimately let you finish that level and go to the next one. It's like, that was an aha of like, yeah, it's all about looking at the level. So when you were asking like, how do you get to a $50 million company or hundred million dollar company or a billion dollar company? It's just going, okay, what are the levels? 
And mm. as you've already identified, thinking about it being a CEO of a $20 million company, well, that's a level. And then mm. once you get there, it's going to be like thinking like a $100 million company mm. is going to be the thinking and the, the level and the skills you require. Like if you want to do an IPO, I was thinking this too. I was like, oh, $100 million company. I could just have a company doing $10 million a year with a 10 times multiple floated on the stock exchange. There's a $100 million company. It might not be $100 million in revenue, although it probably would be too. 100 mil revenue with 10% profit, there's 10 mil. Like I, my brain was just going, well, to do that, I would need to learn how to, to do a, a float on the stock exchange. I'd have to figure out all these new things. Maybe have to raise some capital areas that I've shied away from in business today. That's exciting to go, okay, we're all at a level. Think of it like a video game. What level have I completed and what's the next level? And what's the level after that? Mm. Has that resonated at all for you, Pete? Oh, it does. I stumbled across the Roger Hamilton framework around different levels of wealth and operating. And I've not dived into it yet, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but I'm very interested in that. And that might be something that I share my insight on an upcoming episode. All right. Well, I would love that. And maybe let's to like, you know, we could do a little bit deeper on this since we're talking about, it. I do have that article in front of me and we can make sure in the show notes, we're going to link to the actual article, but you said you would be interested to know a bit more about what this guy who started Zura subscription company, what he said the different levels were to build a billion dollar company. Do you want yeah, to I, I go through I desperately need this. All right. Please. <laughs> All right. Let's go through this, guys. So as I said, the link to the original article, we'll make sure that's in the show notes, which you'll be able to find at rising.show. But so here's what he said. He said, I started Zura in 2007. And over the years, I've learned what it takes to build a billion dollar company. Here are some of the biggest lessons I learned at each stage of growth. So he says stage one or level one, like we've been talking about, is zero to a million dollars. And so zero to a million dollars is all about and we know that, And we know that idea. like intrinsically well, right? Yeah. <laughs> but for those listening, if you're still in that stage, this is about proving the idea. That's really mm -hmm. all it is. Like you're doing a whole bunch of different stuff. And I know in my business, while, you know, to get to the million dollar revenue mark, we had business problems of $10 million companies. Like I remember reading Scaling Up by Vern Harnish, great book, and I'm reading it and it's talking about, here's the problems that $10 million companies have. And I'm like, no, I have that problem now. And I'm at like 600 grand. <laughs> <laughs> but the key thing here is like, prove the idea. So he says, this is all about getting the right idea, finding something that people actually want and going out there and it's hustle. Let's face it. There's a lot of hustle, maybe not quite to the million, but there's a lot of hustle in, especially in those early days, getting those first initial clients, proving that people want it. Then he says, prove the product. That's a million to 3 million. Once you get to the 1 million to 3 million, this is about proving the product. What is it the customers really need? You may have to now start culling some of your ideas and deciding what to build. Like he's just from a software point of view. So he's like, you decide what to build first and what can be pushed out to later years, but that could be the same. You've got mm. product ideas. Maybe you've got, a, you've got limited resources at one to 3 million. You don't have Absolutely. an unlimited budget. Yeah. You've got to go, okay, these products, I want to roll them out, but we're going to focus on these ones initially. What is, it, what is it that customers actually truly want and need and which ideas are you going to build first? But he says on the flip side, you may have the opposite problem of not too many things that you need to cull down, but maybe you actually started off too focused and simple and now you need to go broader. He says, we initially thought, a simple billing system was all we needed to build. Then we realized we actually needed a very broad platform that included APIs, payment systems, commerce platforms, and tax engines. So they went mm -hmm. from just building a, a billing tool to realizing they actually needed to be more of like a payments ecosystem, mm -hmm. subscription ecosystem. So the lesson there is if you're at that million trying to go to 3 million, it's about coming back. And this is a big part of where I'm up to in, in automation agency. It's like coming back to going, okay, what is it clients really need? Mm -hmm. 
do we broaden or do we simplify? And that I've been yeah. having that debate for weeks with myself and a little bit with some of the management team, but mostly with myself yeah. and trying to really get it. And this is, was really affirming to me this last, he said about if you're in the one to three million, he says, you're still learning at this stage, but you have to complete this process now because mm. you won't have the time to dramatically re-engineer he says your product, but in our case, no. if you're a service business, your business. Not once it scales, like you're, you can't. Yeah. You're committed. <laughs> so it's because I'd been a bit internally going like, why have I spent probably the better part mm. of at least two months working on this problem of what are we going to change? What's the business going to look like? And I was like, dude, like, why are you wasting so much time? This was some of my internal conversation. And reading that was really like, no, this is important to, to really think this through now because once we roll with this stuff, it's going to be a lot harder to change. I mean, I've already got 40-odd team members. If we grow and do some of the things we're talking about doing to like 100-odd team members, it's going to be even harder to change. So really get clear on in that if you're at that one to three million markets, you're narrowing down your product, making sure it's a real good fit and it's ready to scale. It's the thing you're going to scale because to flip your change your business at $10 million a year, it's not impossible, but it's going to be really, really hard. Mm. So the next step is, when you're at the 3 million to 10 million mark. This is about proving the market, he says. So he says, this stage is very exciting. You're hiring salespeople, spending money on marketing, and you're focusing on execution. Defining your market now is essential. Is it truly a billion-dollar market? Is it a $500 million market? Is it a million-dollar market? Uh, he's talking about raising capital, so I'll skip that bit because we don't really talk much about that here. But he's saying that which is how we're thinking about business at this level, more like an investor. He says, investors in the early stages were all about hopes and dreams, but now investors are going to demand to know how big the market really is and what your story is and the statistics to prove it. Like if you're saying, yeah. oh, we can, we can grow this thing to be a $50 million company. Well- They're going to want to see that. They're going to want to see, it's okay, this yeah. is the market you're in. This is the competitors. This is the percentage available to you. And here's the price point you're going to market at. You know, there was a simple article I found yesterday about how do you build a $100 million company? Well, you sell to 10,000 customers, 10,000 customers, I think it was, uh, something for $10,000 a year. There's your $100 million company. Or you could be selling you know, 100 million people something for a dollar. There's another yeah. way of achieving a $100 million company. How big is the market is what we're talking about is, is there mm. actually a million people out there who would pay you a dollar mm. to get you that $100 million business that you think you can achieve. So it's, you know, when you're in the startup phase, if you, I don't know about you, Pete, but when I went through like business studies, I think it was at high school and all those things about write business plans and do these things, they talk about doing this. The reality is unless you went and got a bank loan, you probably didn't do it. It was probably a waste of your time to think about that in those early hustle stages because you're just trying to prove the idea, like he says. But when you're at this point, you're at the 3 million trying to go to 10. This is all about going, okay, we got to prove that we're going after the right market. Like we're solid on our product. The product's great. But mm. are we positioning this to the right market? Is this market going to allow us to grow? Have we gone too narrow? I'll give you an example in my own business. One of our biggest markets for us is coaches. It is. Mm. And coaches are growing. There's heaps, especially mm. since COVID. A lot of people are like, I'm going to build online courses. I'm going to do all these things. But it's a smaller segment than say small business owners or professional services. If you look at professional services, coaching could be a sub-segment of that. And so if we focus ourselves like we needed to, to get to the, the million dollar point, you kind of focus on a niche. But when you're at this bigger 
area, you might need to start thinking about, are we going to broaden our niche? Is that market big enough to achieve the goals we have? The answer might be yes, or it might be no, If you have, but it depends if you haven't done the research. So Pete, here's a big question for you. Have you done the research on the market? Yes. We were recently told the number of licenses in the market of Australia for the product that we resell. And we have decided to aim to work with 25% of that market, which is about 50 to $60 million a year recurring revenue business for us. Amazing. We're at a 10th of that right now. And so that's a nice, it's a 10X goal for us. We're already the market leader by far. And so an expansion into taking 25% of the market, while ambitious, I think is doable considering there's not much competition at the moment. And any 10X goal, I think, is a good goal for a business because whether or not you actually get to that 10X goal, you're going to start thinking like that 10X business. And that's what I'm more and more realizing. Like, If Mm. you've been a long time listening to this show, guys, you would have heard earlier episodes where I've been like, what's the point of growing? Why? You know, What's the point of making more money? And then I got to a point of like, oh, I want to contribute and I want to give back. I'm finding an extra nuance on that because I, I've recently been studying something. We'll talk a bit of, we'll throw a bit of spirituality in here. I've been studying the Kabbalah, which is mm. Jewish mysticism, ancient Jewish mysticism. And in the Kabbalah, they talk about two souls. There is the soul that is kind of the, the give, 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 contribute to the world, contribute to others, self-sacrifice. And then there's the soul, which is selfish, that's give to self. You know, it's all about me, 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 me. And so realizing that there's an element of developing skills, growing uh, I can see now there's the kind of the contribution. If we think about it from that, that context, you've got the soul of wanting to give, give, give and contribute. And here's the impact we can make on the world, which is incredible. And business is beautiful opportunity to do that. And then there's the internal, more selfish soul. And this is me labeling it that. The Kabbalah doesn't specifically label it that. I just can't remember the, the Hebrew way of explaining the terms for these different souls. That's more about going, okay, what am I getting? I'm getting growth. I'm learning new skills. I'm developing. I'm getting challenged. I'm getting that level of growth. And if you think about it, if those who follow Tony Robbins, he talks about the two biggest human needs that are- Certainty and uncertainty? Or, well, or, or is growth the, the, the biggest one? Well, so he talks about there's six human needs. Let's do a little recap on that. Let's do this. So you've got certainty and uncertainty. So there's four human needs that everyone manages to achieve. We already do it. Our behaviors, our habits, everything is medium. Certainty. We need to feel certain in life, feel like there's control. There's something that I know this will happen. But Safety. if we knew- It's like Maslow's hierarchy, right? Totally. Yeah. But if we knew that everything was great, we would be very bored. So we need variety. We need uncertainty in our life as well. Like we want to feel certain that our partner loves us, but we like want a bit of variety that maybe they wear something different or they did their hair or, you know, whatever's going on. Like we're looking for some variety. We go on different dates. We don't do the Paradox. same things every day. Love it. And then- so there's certainty and uncertainty. Then there's significance. We all need and want and find a way to meet our significance. Some people find it by being in you know, social media influencers. Uh, some people do it by drawing attention to themselves. Others I think even just ex- acceptance to tribe, right? Like even just participating in a tribe is enough of that for some people. Potentially, yeah. And I think some people get their significance by saying, I'm invisible. I'm not going to put myself out on social media. I'm not. And that's a form of them creating a sense of significance in their circle. Like, so significance can be very, depending on the person is how you're meeting that is very different. It's very easy to go. Everyone's significance driven right now on social media. And 
I would say there's a lot of truth in that statement. But even those who are like, I'm getting off Facebook, often making that declaration as itself can be a form of, look at me, I'm significant. I feel empowered. But anyways, sidetracked. So we all need significance. We all need to feel significant. And then this goes a bit more to that tribe component, Pete. We all look for love and connection. And if we mm-hmm. can't find love, we'll settle for connection. So mm-hmm. we all look to feel connected to a tribe, connected to our family, connected to our friends, connected to something. Doesn't really matter what it is that we want to feel connected. So they're the four needs that we all meet. But then Tony talks about there's these two other needs that are more optional. You don't need them, with like, but if we meet them, this is where really the heart can be fulfilled. And it's growth and contribution. Mm. Growth is one, to feel like we're growing. We need to feel like we're progressing. There's growth. We've got it. And we need to feel like we're contributing. Now, if we overlay that with what I just shared with you about the Kabbalah, this ancient Jewish mysticism, and these two different souls, there's the soul that needs to feel like it's contributing and giving, giving, giving. And then there's the, the soul that's a bit more selfish of needing to feel like I'm okay, certainty, needs to feel like it's growing though as well. So it's, it's like the other soul is all those four plus growth. And then mm. there's this, what do you call it? Higher power soul. That's more the contribution piece. And I found that really fascinating. So, but let's bring it back to what we're talking about, which I think I've half forgotten because I got so passionate about what we're sharing, but we were talking about, do you remember Pete? No. I think I do though. I think I I vaguely remember because we were talking about to grow this company and that ultimately it's not just about, I was sharing my own story of, I was all about, oh, I just need to give and contribute. You shared about being bored. And I was was like, no, I'm now going to give, I'm going to contribute. And now the lesson has been, no, now it's about, well, how do I grow and improve to another Mm. level? What's the call serve from this? Nice. What's this personal level? How am I going to level up in the video game of the life that is Carl Taylor? Mm. So this is kind of what we're talking about. So we've gotten so far back to the thing. We've talked about 3 million to 10 million mark, and it's all about proving the market. You know, this is where we need to consider who, if we traditionally been selling to corporates, maybe you need to start thinking about small business. If you traditionally sell to small business, maybe you need to be looking at, at corporates. If you've only been looking at coaching market, like I have, maybe you now need to start looking at a broader market or other verticals. Like it's basically saying, don't box yourself into a single market now. If you're in the earlier stages of business, let's make this super clear. Having a focused niche, I only do this thing for this one thing. One of the fastest ways to get to the million dollar mark. It's going to give totally. you cut through. Oh yeah. That'll get you like, you know, off the earth, kind of into orbit, right? Yeah. But now when we're talking at this 3 million to 10 million mark, this is when you start to go, now we need to look at, are we going to be more things to more people? Are we serving all the right markets? Are we even in the right market? I have a friend used to teach people and do a bit of outsourced LinkedIn stuff long before everyone was doing LinkedIn outreach. And he used to do it for small business owners for about 995 bucks a month. Mm. And he was doing okay. And then I caught up with him again, I don't know, maybe a year later, and his business was smashing it. It was like $2 million, $3 million business at this wow. point. And I was like, dude, what did you do? He's like, I changed my market. I'm selling to corporates now. We have companies like HP and IBM and stuff as clients. He's like, the service wow. that I deliver is exactly the same. I get to charge five times as much. Wow. You That's know, like amazing. Simple thing like that, that you mm. can make a huge difference. All right. So now if you want to go from the 10 million mark to the 30 million mark, he said, now this is time to focus on your business model. What is your customer acquisition cost? Now, I personally think you should know these things earlier, but this is interesting. Oh, this totally. Is What's yeah. your churn rate? I, I, would suge- I would suggest that it's probably not like the number one thing that you're worrying about tweaking in the early days. I mean, they need to be manageable. They can't be like, you can't have churn in the red because then you've got a business that will never grow, right? 
And also I'd say looking at something like the customer acquisition cost is useful, but it's not until you're north of $10 million a year that you can really throw proper dollars at marketing and get that magic equation of spending a dollar on marketing and getting back a dollar ten. I'd suggest, I mean, for myself, you know, we've got quite a large team now. We've got a, a well-established marketing team. We're still in the process of figuring out how our dollars spent on marketing in different areas in paid and you know, boosting organic channels as well, how they translate into ROI on products and on sales. But I know that we're on the horizon of that. And I know we're going to get to a point where the constraint will no longer be how many leads we can generate. The constraint will be how much capital we have to spend on marketing that we know is inevitably just going to generate leads. So I look forward to that transition. Totally. Interesting to know. I would say those factors become critically important to optimize in a business that's at that scale. Yeah. And that's what he seems to be saying. Like He's basically saying, at this point, if you're at a $10 million to $30 million business, one of the key things he says here is the cost of a suboptimal business model at $10 million at below $10 million is small. But now you have to make the tough choices because if you don't mm. fix them now, when you find yourself at a $30 million run rate, you're going to have a money losing business, right? And so it's just magnifying everything. So it's saying that if you haven't already got on top of these things, his experience has been from a 10 million to 30 million, you've got to get this stuff dialed in. Know your yeah, customer acquisition costs, I'd lifetime value. A lot of- for a lot of SaaS companies, they probably get to that stage, maybe even not being profitable. Oh, and totally. so, you know, they'd be relying on investment and whatnot. And so for them, they really have to get to the stage of actually having the fundamentals profitable. Otherwise, you take a $10 million business to a $30 million business and you, you're just tripling your losses. So it sounds like that's the time where you actually get the numbers balanced. So you're either profitable or close to profitable. Whereas I think for most of our audience, we're probably talking more about bootstrapping or at least, you know, a service business or a product business where it's likely profitable, or at least at break, break even. even. Of some kind, um, yeah. I think software as a service businesses are a very special beast because they are so profitable on the long tail and so uh, safe. That's why they have ridiculous valuations. Safe in the in the sense that it's recurring revenue, it's very predictable, and it's highly leveraged, like ridiculously totally. leveraged on the long tail. We can build billion-dollar companies with a team a business, of five people, you know? It's correct. crazy. When I think about a business, if you've got to a million dollars a year, you're not funded by anyone and you're not profitable, like you've got problems unless you've got deep pockets to pour money into it. And we recently discussed a story, not yet on the show, about someone who was pouring money into a startup month after month after month and just not able to compete with the big guys and, you know, mm. in the end, lost millions of dollars in what was invested in that. Totally. But I digress. Yes. <laughs> Where are we on that, the I think that is good to bring up. And so let's, let's get to wrap this up. We've got 30 million to 100 million is these next steps. So this is about proving the vision, right? So the 10 million to 30 million was about proving the business model. 30 million to 100 million is now proving the vision. So he's like, if you're going to take public money, i.e. do an IPO and float on the stock exchange, or you're going to get larger investors, you need to know that they need to know that you're a safe bet and be around for the long haul. They're not going to be the venture investors that were prepared to expect some of their bets to fail. These are people who have minimal risk. So again, whether you're going to raise money or not, I think this thinking is still relevant. You're at a point where it's like, you've got to start getting the, the safety nets in place. Like you've got to show that this company is going to be around for the long haul. What's the vision 
not just for the next, you know, two years to keep us alive. What's your 10-year vision? What's your 30-year? What's your 100-year vision? What's the what's the impact you're really here to make on the world? And you you probably wrote those when you started the company. But mm. when you start the company and when you get to a point, like I'm obviously I'm not at this level that they're talking about, but even the level that I've got to, there are things that shift and change. You know, we've got 40 people in the business. They all have a bit of a say and an impact on how the business is, the clients we attract and what the market is doing has shifted and changed. What our mission and vision in the early days was will shift and grow. And so this is about setting that and making that really clear that you've got a solid vision about the market you're serving, what you're here to do, that you've got the right set of products, people, and partners so you can create a sustainable competitive advantage, he says, a sustainable Mm. competitive advantage. And I think that's a big part of innovation. And then the prove the industry is the next step. It's 100 million to 300 million. So at this point, your company has scale, Smaller companies are starting to surround you. thought that was interesting. Mm. Smaller companies are surrounding you like this planet circling a sun. They Mm. like your customer base and your marketing. They like how many salespeople you have and hope that those salespeople will increase their reach. So this makes me think like in my my space, things, software companies like ActiveCampaign, Infusionsoft, Entreport, they're at a point now where there's ecosystems being built around them. You've got the partner programs. You've got other people building businesses around your business. And that's exactly what he talks about at the end here. He says, by creating a platform at this stage, you're creating an ecosystem. You're actually demonstrating how you will become a billion-dollar company. So Mm. being more of an ecosystem is part of that approach to build. And think about all the billion-dollar companies we know. Zero.com, Google, all all these things we're using every day. Yeah. They're ecosystems. They're on, everything mm. kind of plugs into it. They're not just, here's a single product. Mm-hmm. They're surrounded by this entire ecosystem. All the ads agencies who help on Facebook advertising, all the accountants mm. plugged into zero. And then here's the 300 million to 1 billion, the final. You ready for it, Pete? A piece de resistance. Yes. This is about proving the company, he says. You have everything mm. in place to reach a billion. Now it just comes down to execution. Never get complacent. Never lose sight of how the industry and competitors are evolving, especially startups with new and potentially disruptive ideas. Few companies make it to a billion, but by breaking the journey into stages, the process becomes more comprehensible and less forbidding. Mm. Just recognize that each stage is different and what you're trying to prove is different. Embrace change, embrace the switchback. Now, if we go back to the thing he said at the beginning, switchback, he says, it's because it represents how companies entering a new growth stage must essentially become a new organization. The things that made it successful during one stage may actually prevent it from succeeding during the next. Hmm. Love that. Some great wisdom there. Awesome. Well, I think that's about time to wrap this one. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can catch all of our episodes on the website, rising.show. Connect with us on socials there. Reach out if you want to reach out. And if you're enjoying this episode, please share it with someone who you think might be interested. If they have an ambition to build a billion-dollar business, plenty of entrepreneurs say that, I want to build a billion-dollar business. Well, this is like this is literally the roadmap. And so for someone who's serious about that and actually has it in their sights, I would say you've got to get really to the million-dollar mark first, have the million-dollar freak out, have the ego death of like, oh, I reached my goal now. What do I do? then you can proceed to, all right, realigning your goals and and where you want to take it from there. So if that's you or if that's someone you know, please share this episode with them. We would love a review. If you are loving us, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Carl, any final words? No, let's all just build billion-dollar companies. That's all. Build, build, build. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us. And we will see you next time on Entrepreneurs Rising.